Hello, friend. On today's creativity chat, we have the one and only chef slash my dad slash my life coach slash the person that advises me slash the person that told me when you're playing basketball to always look at people's waist and not their hands or their feet because the waist don't lie. I couldn't think of anyone that I trust more to talk to me today about race. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> Just for clarification, you look at the waist when you're playing defense. Oh, man. Yeah, on defense, look oh. at the waist. I mean, isn't that assumed with what I just said? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we have had loads of conversations about race throughout my life. And I was, I took a pause the past couple of weeks because I didn't want to just jump into saying something and then I talked to you and I said hey do you want to be on the podcast and you were like I'm I'm not there yet give me a few more days a few more weeks so I wanted to talk to you because you are in your mid-50s you're a black man that grew up in the south after a man you are a son and after a son you are a father so all the stories that have come up in the past so many years you can relate to them in a way that I cannot relate to them and the different roles. And so I wanted to speak to you because I I knew you would have a credibility. What was elementary school like for you? I started elementary school in 71. During that period of time, it was like 10 years after integration had started in the state of Georgia. I had a a good experience in elementary school. My uh, best friend in first grade uh, was a white guy and it was, I just had a good experience. Uh, the teachers were great. The The environment was conducive to learning. Uh, I really didn't experience any race-related issues until second grade. One of my good friends, we were on the playground. Something It was a mishap with the swing set. You know how boys are. And he got mad at me and, and called me the N-word. I snapped, and I took the swing, and I hit him. We both got in trouble and went to the principal's office. I told my teacher, my second grade teacher happened to be black, and, I mean, she didn't. She just said you shouldn't have hit him. That's what she, that's what she said. But she didn't, you know, she didn't beat me up or anything, so to speak. You know, verbally. I mean, uh, so uh, that was my first experience uh, with that type of thing. And did you tell Grandma and Papa about that? I think yes, I did because I got in trouble. I had to go to principal's <laughs> office. So <laughs> and that was the only time I really got in trouble. Fast forward in the fourth grade um, during that period of time. We are there was a some type of budget crunch and the school system, they didn't have a lot of teachers. And so they had blended classrooms where you had uh, fourth and fifth graders in the same classroom. They were divided. So you may have had maybe 20 on one side of the room and another 20. Well, maybe 15 on the other side of the room. I don't know the number or the ratio. My teacher, uh, Miss Adeline Royce. She saw something in me, and she saw that I guess I was picking up quickly, and so she she allowed me to go through the fourth and fifth grade at the same time. So and she happened to be a white person. The, the racial type thing, it really didn't hit me as hard as it could have hit some other people because when we were growing up, my parents never taught us to look at um, the color of the skin, and I think I heard Martin Luther King speak you know, well, he, he had passed away of course but 
uh, about judging people by the content of their uh, character, right? And not the color of their skin. And so that's one of the things I've always tried to do myself as I, you know, as I have um, walked this walk is, is, is try to look deeper than the surface and look at who the person really is. I'd say you're really good at seeing people who for who they are. So that's that's elementary school. And then you went into middle school and high school and then college. So what did that look like? Middle school. From a race perspective, no problems. Uh, high school race perspective, no problems. I think I was maybe 12 or 13, and I used to sell Cokes at the Georgia uh, football games. Coca-Colas. Yeah, Coca-Cola. One day I, I, after a game, I was, was at a downtown restaurant. I can't remember exactly. I was waiting on my dad. I had to use a pay phone, right? <laughs> so, back. Yeah. So I used a pay phone and called my dad to come get me. So I'm sitting there in this tall sunburned older white guy came in and looked at me it was it was just evil he, he looked down at me he was talking to somebody he was with. i remember when they wouldn't let them come in here and i and i just looked at it and i just saw evil you know i i just saw evil and it didn't hurt me it, it made me angry because i could i don't know if it's a gift or was a gift working within me to be able to discern that that person didn't represent everyone that looked like him, mm -hmm. but it was an evil presence behind him. You came to know Jesus when you were in college. So at that point, it's just kind of like basing things off of what you know or what you've been told, you know, does that make sense? Right, right. I think intuitively, I think there are certain gifts that perhaps are activated even at birth. I mean, that's. Oh, tell me what my gift was at, well, I don't at know what you, day one. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for me, some level of discernment. I think the, okay. the gifts are more defined once you give your heart to the Lord and walk with Him and spend time with Him and understanding Scripture. Um, I think a, a certain measure of faith is given to us at birth, and it's up to us to be sensitive to when we're being protected. It's, it's up to us to be sensitive when. We have a certain level of fear that's there for protection. And as a result of that, I, one of the things for me is just being able to listen and hear what people are saying and give advice based on what I know. Because there's a lot I don't know. There's some things I do know. But based on what I know, I can give advice from that perspective. So part of what I enjoy doing is helping people. And so in, the, in this particular environment that we're in, first of all, I had to help myself. The anger I felt after the George Floyd murder based on a lack of outcry from the body of Christ. Primarily some, some people that I think should have spoken up, they didn't speak up. I had to get over it and I had to get in prayer. It lasted for two days and then I got in prayer and I felt like the Holy Spirit was, was saying something to me and I went to sleep on it. And then the next day I got up and the scripture came back to me and it's in John eighteen thirty six, where Jesus um, said that my kingdom is not of this world. And when that came to me, it, it elevated me from a, to a perspective of seeing things from God's vantage point and from God's vantage point, all these Things, not only the George Floyd murder and the injustices that we're seeing and the craziness that we're seeing, it's not God's master plan. 
So therefore, as a believer, we have to speak what God tells us to speak, but we have to be attentive to what he's saying so we can speak and not be fearful of people and also say it the right way because everything that we do as believers it has to as we minister as we speak truth we have to do it from love in love in order for there to be an opportunity for redemption what is redemption to someone who doesn't know what that is let me use the word repentance okay okay what let is me use what's that repentance word. so turning away from evil so if someone has done wrong as we through the love of christ show them the wrong that they've done we have to give them room to say hey you know i made a mistake i'm wrong i'm, I'm sorry i don't want to do it again right and we but if we don't speak up and say truth Sometimes we're not giving them the opportunity to know truth in order to, for them to see the error in their ways. And so as believers in Christ, we have to be able to speak up when we see these injustices, speak up the right way. And then on the flip side of it, when people do recognize their faults, be there to help them to 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 get in right standing with with the Lord. I see the body of Christ at this point being in a great position to be a a bridge in order to bring about a lot of great change right now across the world. It doesn't matter if we're here in the Southeast or if we're in Germany or Italy or, you know, wherever what has taken place in the past, you know, since on May 25th has shocked the world, but also brought a lot of people together. And that's one of the things that, you know, we need to celebrate. Don't you think? Yeah, I think you did a good job of helping me with the whole black blackout Tuesday thing. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. The little square. Because I came to you and I just said, Dad, I think this is stupid. I don't understand why people think they need to share a black square. And you said, do you remember? It's just showing solidarity. Yeah, Dad, right? Dad said, Unity. Kristen, it's not stupid. Everyone just wore the same t-shirt to a, a football game. And I was like, okay. We'll go with it. Yeah. We're showing uh, solidarity and support and unity. And it's 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 needed. And, and hopefully a lot of people heard this. Uh, when you say black lives matter and some people respond, all lives matter. Yes. Yes, that's true. If you're in a neighborhood and y- your house matters, right? Your house matters. But if one house is on fire... That fire, that house needs a lot of attention. So the fire department needs to come in and focus on that particular house, right? And so that's that's where we are right now. If we look at races as a neighborhood and blacks as one of those houses, and that house is on fire right now. And that's why we need attention. And we feel in some cases that we're not getting the proper attention um, as some of the other houses in the neighborhood. And so that's why it's important to understand the, the just of it and what, and what can get lost in this whole ordeal is the negativity that's going on, i.e. Um, bad people doing bad things, okay? No one is trying to sweep that under the rug. We want to address that. That needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed appropriately, yes. It cannot take away from the conversation of the injustice, injustices that we have seen 
and have heard about. We need to address those and see how to address them the proper way. I like that analogy of the, the house is on fire in the neighborhood. Did that just come to you? No, I read it somewhere. I was just over here like, wow. Jonathan and I are of age of some of the people that have been murdered. Do you think you look at what's happening the same as a man, as a son, as a father? Or does your perspective change based on thinking of it in those very specific roles? Great question. You know, when you and your brother were born, I believe my, my role was to prepare you for your next step whatever that next step may be, and not to always tell you what to do, but to show you how to approach situations with wisdom and how to make sure you're utilizing the experiences of people around you, for especially your mom and dad, to make sure you don't repeat the same mistakes because there are going to be a lot of opportunity for new mistakes. So there's no need in repeating mistakes that we may have had in the past. So the only way to ensure that is to teach you um, wisdom, insight, and understanding the best we can. And then put you in an environment where you're exposed to people with wisdom, insight, and understanding, but also being able to see the humanness of people, if if that's such a term. Being able to understand that people are flesh and blood and they're going to make mistakes, they're going to do things they shouldn't do. However, behind all of that, can you see Christ in it? Can you see how to work through that? Can you see how to mitigate it? From my perspective, what's going on right now, you being an African-American female, my son being an African-American male, you know, in, in, in your 20s. So I am trusting God. I trust God that he has already prepared you for a time such as this. I, I trust God that whatever you may lack, he is much more than able by his grace to fulfill that lack as it relates to being able to work through this environment that we're in. I mean, I've prayed over you guys and you were in the womb before you even came into this world. And the reason I say that is because prayer, it doesn't end. Prayer goes ahead of you if you're praying, right? And so as you're walking your walk of faith, as you're surrounding yourself with people of faith, I don't worry at the same level, perhaps as some people do, because I know that God loves you more and God loves everybody more than your parent does or your siblings or, you know, significant other. He loves you more. The key is to tap into that love and pray and and, and just believe that he heard the prayer. But you also got to walk with wisdom. Right. And, and be obedient to when that your gut telling you not to do something. You, you have to be obedient to that. Anything else you want to add? Sure. So at, at this point in time, I, I, I think it's important if you're about to graduate from college, right out of college, four or five years out of college, is to serve. Uh, it's, it's very important to serve. It's very important to serve from a 360 perspective. And when I say 360 perspective, um, you're going to be around some older people, some, some of your peers, but also reach back out, reach out to some people that are younger than you are. Because if you do that, as you're serving, you can also see or get a glimpse of your future. Because oftentimes what you're doing right now is not what you're going to be doing 20 years from now. Or it may be, but if if not, it's okay. A second thing is relationships. Make sure your relationship with the Lord is as strong as it can be. Uh, 
recognize that relationships with people are very important. They need to stay healthy. They need to stay Christ-centered. They need to um, exemplify what the body consists of because, I mean, the body of Christ, you, you have a foot, a leg, an eye, toe, knees. I like you my eyelashes. Eyelashes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have all these parts of the body. So you're not alone in this journey going to number three, point number three. You're not alone, and you should never, if you ever feel alone, that's not of God because you're, he said he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but and he, and he also means that he will have someone there for you. There's going to be someone, someone in your circle of influence, or he'll bring someone quickly to help. So sometimes people lose hope because things are not, moving forward like they want them to like 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 they want it to and um as a result you you can get tunnel vision and think that oh my life is over at the age of 25 23 24 you know by the grace of god you have a whole lot of time left you just don't recognize it. you just have to reposition yourself sometime in order to go to where he would have you to go. You just said, just just give yourself a pivot. That's what you always, you're like, you just need a pivot. Sometimes you need to pivot and sometimes you need to change games. So like, I'll play soccer now or tennis. I, I can see you playing tennis. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thanks for chatting with me. Today is great to be chat. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you have a lovely rest of the day. Bye. Thank you.